Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market events while quaffing a few beers. My name is Boai Shoshan. I'm joined as ever by Sam. Sam, how are you getting on? What have you you've been looking at this week? Uh, yeah, I'm getting on pretty well. I'm very excited about having a beer at the end of the week, as I always am. Uh, looking at this week... I mean, it's, it's it's like what do you what do you what do you not look at is an easier question because there's so much to cover from moves by the the central banks. There's obviously been a, a batch of elections and all that happening in the UK. Obviously, the crypto markets are going berserk. Um, the stock market itself is going berserk. God, it's 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 almost impossible to pigeon pigeon your holes yourself down into talking about just one or two things. But um, I got I got a couple of things up my sleeve. I know when we get to our uh, our bull and bear segment, our boom and bust segment, or whatever we call it, I can't even remember. That's how good I'm going this week. Um, I've got a few things that I'd like to talk about, but as I say, I've got a couple of beers here, ready to crack on, and uh, and get stuck in. Yeah, I must admit, I have been so eager to open a beer today that actually, just as uh, Sam was speaking there, I finished off my first beer of this podcast. Uh, I think that's probably the fastest we've gone through one uh, in our many episodes. Uh, this I was think, I think we're literally about a minute and a half in. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> slightly over eager on my part. Uh, I'm I'm drinking with leverage here. Uh, this is Gunslinger American Pale Ale, crafted in Preston. And it was brewed by Beer Brothers, the two who brew. <laughs> uh, it's got a very cool cartoony, uh, cartoony style can with the sort of old west style cowboys, with one of them holding a gun at the other, and uh, the other guy's holding a beer, and he's got a big stack of cash behind him. There's some cacti in the background, nice sheriff star design. This was very good indeed. Uh, I think I would give it a B. This was very nice. Bursting with citrus aromas and a refreshingly fruity taste, this American pale ale is best enjoyed after high noon. And it's got a sort of wanted poster with the beer on it. Um, yeah, very good, actually. This was, uh, yeah, that was Gunslinger American Pale Ale, brewed by Beer Brothers. That, that Sam, is, what are you drinking? I was going to say, that is impressive. That is literally the fastest review, not, not only the fastest like consumption, but fastest review as well that we've ever put but we're breaking new ground, really, with uh, with this podcast. Every single time we come on, in forty four episodes, still breaking new ground. It's yeah, we're uh, we're we're accelerationists now. We're <laughs> gaining inertia. In uh, you know, by episode fifty, we're just going to neck these at the very beginning, and then uh, and then start start speaking. Well, I'd like to think that over time, like I would, I mean, thirty seven now. So I would have thought my alcohol tolerance had you know built to a quite a significant level, but. I think since having children, my alcohol tolerance has decreased. And uh, now, as I said, as we've said before, a couple of these beers on a Friday, and I'm pretty much, pretty well half cut already. Um, and anyway, the the first one I've got is uh, another one from Pomona, Pomona, Pomona Island, um, which I had one of those last week. I think I can't remember which one, uh, but this one is called Citizens on Patrol. Now uh, that is. I assume that's in reference to the Police Academy movie, which is, to be fair, one of one of the great comedy movies, the Police Academy Citizens on Patrol. Uh, pretty standard kind of label. It's blue with the name. Um, it's a pale ale, uh, and it's just got a little badge that looks like a police badge, but with uh, Pomona Island on it. Uh, and it does. It, it's got an interesting little bit of text here, which doesn't indicate why it's called Citizens on Patrol, I don't think. Uh, not that I can tell, but anyway, it says you want to become one with this beer, feel the beer, caress the beer until it is a living, breathing, vibrating extension of yourself. This sounds like something, uh, that who is it? Is it Reese Witherspoon? No, it's not Reese Witherspoon. Who is it that runs goop? Uh, uh Gwyneth Paltrow. It sounds like a Gwyneth Paltrow product that she's uh, selling from goop. Well, I would have expected, based on that text, I would have expected this beer to be uh, called uh, Sexual Patrol or something like that. Um, but after all of that build-up, then it just says it is a good beer. <laughs> Anti-climax or what? Yeah. Yeah, you're not meant to give it away. It might, maybe they should have done uh, you know, sort of curveball and then said it is a bad beer at the end, <laughs> just to surprise you. <laughs> Plot twist right at the end. 
it, it is, is a, a bad, bad beer. beer. Um, but anyway, so then, uh, yeah, the, the thing is about this, right, already, and I've, I've had a, a bit of it now, uh, I think they're really underselling it by saying it's a good beer. It's uh, it's very enjoyable. It's five point three percent, vegan friendly, uh, but it really, really nice drink so far. Uh, really nice beer. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing this sucker off. That's for sure. Yeah, I wonder if there's some kind of reverse psychology they can do with a uh, with a beer. You know, remember? <laughs> do not drink book? this beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was that. Remember that book that said steal this book. Uh, you know, I, everyone remembered it just because it had that title and it was a bestseller. I don't even know what it was about, but somebody just wrote steal this book on it. You know, imagine if it was just like, this is a bad, this is a bad beer. You know, this is battery acid runoff <laughs> that we've salvaged from some, you know, landfill. Yeah, drinking this beer will make your eyes bleed. <laughs> <laughs> this is not vegan friendly. This isn't human friendly. This will kill you. <laughs> but it's got an ABV of 8%. Yeah. Why not? It'd need to be a high ABV, that's for sure. All right. Now, we should, of course, be getting to uh, you know, some, good, some good market news here. And sure. we do have a lot to discuss, as, as you mentioned earlier, Sam. Now, uh, let's start off with a nice, nice open question, a very topical question. Uh, you know, depending on when you listen to this, uh, you know that you may not already know the answer, but it will be interesting to see if uh, if Sam, if you're right in that case. And we don't have very long before we do find out if you are right, right? So here is Elon Musk. He's going on Saturday Night Live tomorrow, correct? correct. And uh, you know, is he going to pump Dogecoin? And yeah. if he does pump Dogecoin, he probably will. But is this a buy the buy the rumor, sell the news thing, right? So if he pumps Dogecoin in this thing, is that going to be the top for Dogecoin just that you know the hour afterwards, or is this going to be you know the beginning of a rally that carries on into next week? Huh? Well, you know what, I I get the suspicion that it's quite possible that Doge may have pumped on as soon as it was announced that he was going to host. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. But you know what, this so this interestingly leads into. Um, my bullish bearish uh, segment. So I'm, I'm actually bullish this week on the Saturday night live ratings. I think their ratings are going to explode with Musk hosting it. I think it's going to be one of the biggest episodes they've ever had. Um, I, I genuinely believe that everyone is going to tune in just to see what he says about Doge. I, I mean, like I want to watch this. I haven't wanted to watch Saturday night live since Will Ferrell was on it. Um, I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it goes back quite a while. I mean, like some of the original cast members are guys like Dan Aykroyd uh, and uh, uh, Jim Belushi and those kind of guys, right? Chris Farley and, you know, some of the greats of comedy from the, from the 80s and, and 90s. Uh, today, I, I think it's a bit of a shadow of its former self. Um, but, it, you know, it has spurred some of the great uh, comedic actors of our time nonetheless uh i think i think now they need someone like elon musk just to get the ratings and i think it'll probably work um so i'm interested to see because look having seen musk before he's as cringeworthy as bill gates as as you know he makes you sort of recoil like steve bulmer used to um it's uh for a ceo of a, of a publicly listed companies and and, and other kinds of companies to to host saturday night live where traditionally it's musicians or actors and things like that it's it's a weird one uh, he's he's got this quasi celebrity status um and it, it's it's weird it's unique he's weird and unique i think he'll come across horrible on camera completely wooden if not concrete in his delivery uh, i think most of his skits will suck but i, I want to watch i think it's going to be a car crash uh, but he's, he's inevitably got to be doing something about Doge. I mean, he has to. And so, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. And I think it's going to, I think other people will be too. And I think the Saturday Night Live ratings are going to skyrocket off the back of it. And you know what? Probably Doge. <laughs> well, I think you're right about this being very good for Saturday Night Live. Uh, you know, if, PewDiePie's meme review is any uh, is any foreshadowing here. You know, it was uh, when Musk hosted meme review on YouTube. He 
did you know he did get an awful lot of attention that did pump PewDiePie's status and everything. Uh, and at the same time, you know, actually, when Musk is being so is in a comfortable environment and is acting quite natural, he mm-hmm. just comes off as on the spectrum, really. He doesn't really come across as wooden per se, he just comes all across as somebody who is not like the average person. Uh, so I remember from, just from that video, there's, uh, you know, here we are. This is the CEO of a publicly listed company, as you say, one of the richest men in the world, if not the richest. I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen the, 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 net worth stats recently but you know he's definitely got to be up there with his massive stack of tesla shares and here he was on uh, on <laughs> hosting a youtuber's uh, <laughs> a youtuber's weekly show and uh, laughing hysterically at the idea of a deer falling into somebody's swimming pool by mistake and drowning right just absolutely creasing himself over the idea of some deer, you know, stumbling into somebody's swimming pool and suffocating in the water. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, this was, this was in 2019, in fact. So this is before he made it to, you know, before Tesla pumped to some ridiculous degree. Yeah. But he was still, obviously, he was still, he was still everything that he is today. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, nobody gave a shit. You know, this is great. This is great theater. Here's Elon <laughs> Musk being Elon Musk and uh, doing his thing for, uh, for, for PewDiePie, <laughs> it was all very <laughs> absurd. But I wonder, I do wonder how he will, uh, how he will appear. Some people, you know, some people think you know, <laughs> the comedy of Saturday Night Live, the, the one of the punchlines he will deliver is him dumping his entire Doge stack onto the market at market price, just absolutely ripping through the entire order book and pushing the value you know, way back to Ascent, right? Just because this would be great comedy. You know, Musk would probably find that very funny. It'd be know, like actually. when Charlie Lee sold off all his Litecoin right at the top of the market in 2018 or 2017. He's probably, Charlie Lee's sale there is actually, I think it was because it was such a large sell, I expect that was actually what did start the domino top doll that actually killed that market. I, I, I think he, he did instigate it. Uh, the well, timing of it you can't ignore but no, i mean no. i i i would i don't think i think musk is just so committed now to the to the idea of being the doge father <laughs> and and doge to mars i mean look like literally just because he wants to send basically colonize mars all these crypto with mars in their name have started to hit the market and boom like you can't deny that there is some wild bubble action happening in this market, like just like 2017. But I think um, it's 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 a little bit more nuanced and different this time around, as they always say, um, because it's it's almost like it's a two-speed crypto market now, where you do have all these bubble trash crypto meme coins, shit coins. I mean, what is it? Come come rocket was booming the other day, um, and the the token is cummies. I mean, this is this is 2017 all over. But then at the same time, you've got all these, and we've discussed this before, like you know these DeFi applications and these new DeFi protocols that are are actually building something quite powerful. So there's certainly a two-speed element to it. Um, nonetheless, everything is still effectively wrapped up with the movements of Bitcoin and Ethereum. <laughs> so uh, some things don't change. But you know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm just going to be I'm I'm genuinely fascinated about a the kind of world we're in where a very long running comedy show like Saturday night live thinks that the best host they can get uh, for this week is Elon Musk. Uh, And, and how that reflects on the world we live in right now. You know, if I wonder if, you know, we hadn't seen all that stuff with GameStop and, you know, all the short sell pushes and, you know, crypto markets and and Elon tweeting and the, the Tesla price. And, you know, then obviously with Doge and everything, he wouldn't he wouldn't factor in the equation because who wants to put a ceo a rich ceo on a comedy show i mean i wonder if half of it is just to actually sort of satirize the fact of the markets and, and the world we live in and how you know everyone can jump onto robin hood and trade futures and options i wonder if that's part of the sort of the inside joke behind the scenes is they're like hey let's put elon musk on the show i mean that in itself is somewhat of a of a comedy sketch i would have thought yeah, I think 
Well, it's funny how you talk about a long-standing, you know, a long-standing comedy show uh, coupled with Dogecoin, which of course is a long-standing internet joke to some degree, uh, but a joke which has sort of manifested some kind of uh, value to some degree. I mean, ultimately, this was started as this kind of, you know, spread the love internet movement, you know, spread the doge, you know, they did the whole save dogemus after one of the big exchanges got hacked and everybody lost their dogecoin and all the big doge whales, you know, donated lots of their doge, which was worth, you know, money at the time uh, to all the people who'd lost their doge, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, it, it's funny, I think when Binance Smart Chain, they, they launched uh, you know, somebody just launched a shit coin that was just called uh, the Doge Father, which of That's course right. is, you yeah, know, just to just to try and capitalize on this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, where where do you, where do you go with this? I think <laughs> the funny thing about Doge, just on is, that Doge, just just on that, sorry, Doge Father in the last twenty four hours, I'm just looking at this now, has seen over eight point two million dollars worth of trading volume. Uh, and the the crypto itself is up 128% in the last 24 hours. Uh, that, I mean, that, come on, like you say, this thing has has only really been alive for, what, a matter of days? <laughs> yeah, and what actually is it other than a name? $8.2 million worth of trading. I mean, Jesus, you're right. At what point does the joke become not funny anymore? You know, I was thinking about this. I think because similar to similar to Bitcoin, where it's a leaderless movement, right? The guy that created Doge, to my understanding, sold all of his ages ago. So he's uh, he would have been a billionaire by now, and now he's not. Ultimately, <laughs> uh, it's a kind of a, a comedy and a tragedy. But there is maybe an argument that if you find something like this that has a large network. Like imagine if you, you're, you're running this from the other way around. So Facebook starts as a company trying to create the network. What happens if you have the network first and then you try to create a purpose out of it? Maybe there's something that could be introduced to Doge, which would give it some kind of purpose. So everyone knows it's a joke and it has popularity and network activity as a result of it being a joke. People do, you know, you, I've given away Doge uh, to... Um, to people before in paper wallet form, because you know it's kind of a it's kind of a funny joke, right? It's just mm. a nice. It's just a, a great picture of a Shiba Inu looking kind of uh, looking quite sort of almost human, right? And maybe that maybe there's something that can be done with it. So I remember Elon Musk has said, you know, the most uh, was it the most absurd outcome is the most likely. Right. Yeah. So why? So Doge, as a, because it's a joke, right? Everyone's trying to change the world with all these crypto projects. Doge is the one which isn't, and as a result, it'll be the one that ends up changing the world. I think there's, the, you know, there's, the, I think there's probably something to that. I mean, yeah, the, I think the world so. has become so absurd to the point where, well, maybe, maybe that is true. Maybe that is what's going to happen. You know, a while back in the 20, in 2017 crypto boom, I made the most money from uh, Verge, right? And which were, which has the ticker XVG, and the whole reason I uh, I got that in the first place was after I heard it was before McAfee went really off the rails with his <laughs> uh, was still in crypto right this was just saying something yeah it was before before he went nuts and he was just, he just made a comment that he'd seen people uh, he'd seen people on darknet markets trans transacting in, in Verge uh, you know accepting payment now maybe that was. Uh, yeah, the whole maybe that wasn't even true. Maybe he'd made that up. I can I can imagine some people doing that though at the time because Verge did have a, a fair bit of volume, and the whole point of it was this was a a version of uh, Litecoin. Ultimately, um, oh, in fact, well, not not quite Litecoin, but you know, this was a version of uh, of Bitcoin to some degree, but except everything was uh, cleared through the Tor network, so it was much more private. Right. Yeah. But anyway, in the actual creation of Verge, Verge wasn't called Verge originally. It was originally Dogecoin Dark. So the whole point of this was it was just Dogecoin, but run over the Tor network. So it made it more anonymous. Mm. And they had, of course, changed, you know, so their image was, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, a dark Doge character, you know, instead of him being this blonde thing, you know, he's gray and dark blue and whatever. And of course, they, they were trying to sort of smarten up their act. 
by <laughs> adopting the name Verge. You know, the sort of edgy. Imagine uh, if they'd have kept it as Dogecoin Dark. This is exactly what I'm getting at. Can you imagine the price, the market cap of Verge, had they just kept until 2021 or even in 2020, if they just kept the name Dogecoin Dark? Mm. That that credibility of being around for so long uh, would have pumped this to something utterly absurd. Definitely well, I mean, close yeah. to Doge. We're talking about Doge at like, again, if I pull it up on my chart, uh, Dogecoin, like almost $80 million, uh, $80, million, $80 billion in terms of uh, the circulating value of the tokens available today. Uh, mind you, uh, infinite amount of Doge at this point can be mined uh, and distributed. Um, so, yeah, you know, I imagine that like they could have, I think they would have been, I think it would have literally been just a step or two, maybe below that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Astonishing, really. Accordingly. And you, so the interesting thing, right. And, and look, I, I don't own any Doge right now. And I, it's, it's probably one of the few crypto projects, if not the only one that I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely rooting for, but yet own none of. <laughs> yeah, why because, not? Because, I mean, look, I've been around, been around it long enough that, I, you know, I still, I can't, it, it, I find it hard to shake that idea that it was, it was just a joke. Um, but you're right. It, you can have an, you can have a network and you can find, a, you can find a purpose for it. That's not the way you would go about things. It's a very abnormal way and a very rare occurrence, but you can have a network. You can have something like Doge and find a purpose for it. If people, uh, if people combined across the world, find the purpose. So like, I know Mark Cuban as well as has sort of been on the Doge bandwagon. And I think the Mavs allowed um, some tickets to be. Yeah. Bought. They said they weren't going to sell any of their Doge that they took. Yeah, exactly. So imagine if corporations start putting Doge onto their balance sheets. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, that no. sounds stupid, doesn't it? But so did the idea five years ago of, of, of corporations putting Bitcoin onto their balance sheets. It wasn't as ridiculous as Doge. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And it isn't, admittedly. But that's the. Th I think that's the thing is that we are, the world is weird and wacky and perplexing uh and with the right people in the right network in the right belief system then you know maybe these maybe maybe it does happen maybe it could happen maybe we need to find the the Do the doge equivalent of michael saylor so who is going to be the missionary character the missionary ceo who's been washed up since the dot-com boom <laughs> who wants to reinvent himself in crypto you know, he's got something to prove. Gigantic. He's already ludicrously wealthy, but he's got a gigantic chip on his shoulder and he yeah. needs to he needs to make it back again. And he's got he's decided he has found his calling with the Shiba Inu. He is going to make Doge a global reserve currency and he is going to lever up his balance sheet of his company, which barely does very much and until until this time. And you know, he's just gonna buy hundreds of millions of billions. He's gonna buy billions dare I say it, even trillions of Doge, because of course, you know, the supply is going to come back. Who's it going to be, Sam? What, what's their name? I My, feel, you find a, have well, you got yeah, one in mind? Find, is there a play on Michael Saylor that you could make to make it somehow more related to the Shiba Inu? Well, see, I, I, I get the feeling that the natural, the natural outcome here would be for a Japanese company to adopt the Doge. I feel Quite like- possibly. The Shiba Inu is, it's a Japanese dog. It's, you know, beloved in the, in the country. I feel like may, maybe a Nintendo style company says, you know what? Or maybe, uh, 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 was it uh, Konami? Um, right, yeah. You know, maybe one of these gaming or companies Capcom, says, you yeah. know what? We're going to integrate Doge into our games. <laughs> I mean, it was originally meant for things like tipping and microtransactions right. and stuff. So. I mean, people used to tip like Doge, like twenty thousand Doge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, without even thinking about it, right? Because it was pretty much because it wasn't worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people used to do that with Bitcoin as well. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing, right? Is is you just you just don't know. But look, this is the other thing: you can't predict these things. Like, come on, this is why I don't own any Doge. There's no 
why I could have predicted what was going to happen to Doge this year in the, in the last 12 months. Um, you know, it's it's just it's astonishing what the way that it's gone. So, I mean, you sometimes with the crypto markets, you just can't, you just don't know. There's no rhyme or reason, like pancake swap. I mean, pancake swaps are fucking exchange on the Binance smart chain which appeared out of nowhere and all of a sudden has like a circulating value supply of like six billion dollars I'm like what what is what is going on so you know Doge is, is certainly up there with with the more perplexing confusing uh, aspects of not just the crypto markets but I think just our world in general it's probably reflective more now of just how people are just almost looking for something to believe in. And when enough people get behind it, then the power of that, and this is, so this is what we saw with GameStop. Um, and this is, this is now becoming a very common thread that when you get enough people to believe in something, even Tesla's a fucking example of this, uh, the power of, of that belief system with enough people and a big enough network is quite astonishing, really. Hmm. Yeah, you know, Sam, I think the the absurdity of it, I think it's quite it's quite key to it. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why people like it so much. Well, especially as it's last, lasted so long. I mean, Doge is an old meme and it's kind of still continued. And, you know, I actually, you know, one of the reasons I gave, I've given Doge away kind of as a joke is number one, it's really cheap, but at the same time, and it's, you know, pretty easy to access considering the number, number of crypto exchanges offer it because it's old school. Mm. Um, but... And you know, Doge did have a utility, I and mean, it still has, to some degree, some utility now. In that the the uh, the, the transactions are very fast relative to things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and certainly when you consider things like gas fees. So people used to use Doge because Doge was part of the plumbing on all of these exchanges. So you could move capital around and pretty fair amount of volume as well. So you can actually move a fair bit of capital around quicker using Doge than you could if you were trying to use Bitcoin or Ethereum. So it still had that sort of payment rail utility when it came to just moving money about. But I actually gave uh, Doge away, which would have been in 2019 as a gift, paper wallet, uh, partly because uh, you know people joked, but they were half joking when they would say Doge is going to go to a dollar, right? Yeah. <laughs> because having seen the absurdity of 2017, it really isn't off, you know, that wasn't off limits right you could that was still believable that something could could do that when you consider the extraordinary just uh you know speculative booms that you saw across all of these you know seemingly ridiculous digital tokens mm. uh, so i get away thinking you know if, if we do get another 2017 again well maybe doge will go to a dollar and here we are and uh yeah i mean what do you think is going to happen do you think it's going to be do you think the price is going to dump right after elon's saturday night live um I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more volatility in it. I also wouldn't be surprised, surprised to see it go to a dollar. I, I don't know if this is possible, but this is something that has been sort of toying around in my head over the last couple of weeks watching watching Doge. Uh, again, I don't, I, I don't even know if it's, if it's actually possible. But uh, so I've been thinking about it. It's like one of the things that everyone seems to, uh, to, to find a flaw in Doge is the fact that it's... Uh, infinite you know be able to print or print mine as many as but there, there is no cap it will forever be mined in uh, to infinity what what if it what if it wasn't what if all of a sudden there was a hard cap on the the total supply of doge that could ever exist and then all of a sudden it went from being just uh, naturally inflationary forever to being like bitcoin and being deflationary um, I wonder what that would then do to, to it all if all of a sudden then we'd see it become more of this idea of a store of value for, uh, for internet, the internet meme folk, rather than um, this, you know, weird joke currency that's uh, all of a sudden become quite popular. I wonder if the scarcity even matters to a lot of the people in crypto where, they certainly don't seem to care about it when it comes to things like, you know, establishing a hard cap on Ethereum, for example, is not as yet to really arrive. Uh, but nobody really, nobody really seems to care about it other than people who are critical of Ethereum and don't own any. So the people who participate in it don't really mind about that. Mm. Um, and I think the same things happen with Doge. 
But maybe, but maybe, maybe that, maybe that's what Elon will reveal. He's actually established a monopoly amongst Dogecoin miners, and he is going to establish a hard cap on Doge, and he's going to announce it on Saturday Night Live, and the price is going to go to two dollars. You know what? I, I there's one thing that I think will see Doge the absolute ass fall out of Doge, is if it, it eventually comes to light that Musk doesn't own any at all. That would be pretty funny. That's the real joke is that he owns none. His only position is in Bitcoin, no Doge. And all he's been doing is just fucking with people the whole time. That would see the arse end that fall out of, out of Doge. No, no Doge to, the, to Mars, no Doge to the moon, no Doge on Elon's personal wallets, no Doge for anyone. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, you know how the whole idea was he's going to put Dogecoin, an actual physical Dogecoin on the moon? Yeah. Imagine if he's going to use the boring company to just put one at the center of the earth. Imagine <laughs> if that was a joke. Imagine if, imagine if it's just a, a joke in that, you know, they, 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 they set it up on Saturday Night Live as though it's a joke that he doesn't own any. And he actually does. But well, so this is the it's other such thing. a good joke that the yeah. ass falls out of the market. Yeah, this, this is the other thing. They, there's a very good chance he could make a joke that is not taken all that funny. He could yeah. make a joke about Tesla. He could make a joke about Doge. He could Short make a joke sellers, about yeah. Bitcoin. You know, it is, and the way that markets react, you just don't know. Uh, that Because people always seem to, for, the, for some reason these days, people seem to always find truth in stuff that is clearly uh, a joke or satire. But someone, someone inevitably takes it serious. Um, and... I think it's because people, I don't know, maybe people don't believe, I don't know. It's just weird, right? Um, and the, he's the kind of guy that could deliver a joke and it would just be like, is he being serious? Yeah. Or joking? Even though it's a, even though it's a comedy show, I, I still genuinely feel that like if, if, if something's misinterpreted, that it could, it could generally, genuinely have an effect on the market, mm. which is astonishing, really. That you've got a CEO of a company that could be making jokes about his own company or companies or crypto and it can move the market. I have no doubt it's going to move the market though. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of Jeff Skilling, the CEO of Enron, who. Uh, Did he know, ever host managed... Saturday Night Live? <laughs> well, he, he probably should have, actually, <laughs> because unlike Elon, Skilling is very charismatic. He is that, and he can actually make a very good joke. So at this, he was at it, and to, to illustrate how much, you know, he was at this press conference where Enron had been given a big contract to, uh, you know, to provide energy across California. Their yeah. traders had just rinsed California where, you know, there were blackouts all over the state, causing all manner of chaos, just so the traders could make large arbitrage uh, plays across energy in California. So, you know, the, the, the lights were going off all over the place, all because these traders were just, were just fucking around with it. And Skilling is at this press conference afterwards, right? He's smiling, he's laughing his face off. And he says, you know what the difference is between California and the Titanic? When the Titanic went down, the lights were on, you know, and he's <laughs> laughing his ass off at this. <laughs> Right, and it is genuinely funny, but I mean, he he's, he's so confident, he's so charismatic that he gets away with it, right? Nobody gave a shit because he was delivering it so well, and he was clearly so confident in all the things that are in in the execution of the operation. Now, of course, Enron goes down; it's a massive, you know, the whole manner of fraud. It was a, you know, <laughs> Tesla bears would no doubt say that Elon Musk took great inspiration from Jeff Skilling. However, Elon does not have the charisma of Jeff, no, Jeff Skilling. So really, no. to be honest, I think if there's any takeaway from today's show, it should be that Jeff Skilling should host Saturday Night Live. After <laughs> all, he was released from prison, I believe, in 2019. Uh, and he's gone into the digital asset space as well, like Elon has. So why not? Why not? But anyway, Sam, give us what, what are you bearish on? Uh, do you know what? I think I've almost forgotten what I was bearish on. <laughs> We've gone so deep into the Doge, uh, into, into everything Doge-related in Saturday Night Live. I've genuinely forgotten what I was actually bearish on this week. 
we have uh, we have gone pretty far astray. Um, We've gone down that rabbit hole so much that uh, that yeah that, that we've 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 got, I've come out the other end and genuinely I've got amnesia. Maybe oh, it was wow. maybe I was bearish on Doge. <laughs> I think uh, yeah okay. Well, I, I to sort of cover up a bit of time here. I have already finished my second beer. This was Throwaway IPA by Seven Brothers Brewing. Um. It says cornflakes upcycled, whatever that means, with five ABV. Um, I remembered. We'll get to it in a second. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So, but I'll, I'll just carry on. I'll carry on with the uh, with the covering skit here. This is a hoppy idea. This is basically route. a Saturday Night Live episode. <laughs> yeah, it may as well be. It may as well be. Um, oh, apparently this is actually brewed using upcycled Kellogg's cornflakes provided via their sustainability program. What? This beer has plenty of residual sweetness, dry hop for a full flavored IPA. Wow, this is incredibly good, actually, wow. considering it's made from upcycled cornflakes. I and it doesn't taste like that at all. So uh, this is actually very good. Flakes. Yeah, I would recommend throwaway IPA. Um, I think I'd give this one another B. This is uh, this has been this has been good. This is seven brothers with the T in brothers as a seven in Salford, Manchester. It is 5% ABV, 2.2 UK units, and in a nice big can as well. But yeah, I'd give this one a B. Sam, oh, you want to tell us what you're bearish on while, uh, yeah, and also what your second beer was? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I forgot to rate Citizens on Patrol first because um, I didn't. Uh, and I really enjoyed that a lot. That's a very, very good quality beer. I would even throw it down into the sessions category. Um, if they threw, if, if they said it was a sessions uh, pale ale, session pale ale, I would believe them. Uh, I enjoyed that quite a lot. I'm, I'm actually going to give Citizens on Patrol a B plus, uh, which is a very, very handy little rating. Uh, my second beer is from Gypsy Hill, uh, where the Gypsy Hill Brewing Co. located in Hamilton Road Industrial Estate in London. Uh, I don't know where that is, but clearly in London. Uh, and it is a, it's called the, okay so it's a fruited sour ale at 4.8 percent now the label on it it is called the sower so s-o-w-e-r there's a picture of a guy in a field um with some cows around him so it is it's sower but it's clearly a sour ale so you could also call it a sour or a sower whichever one whichever way you want to go but um yeah fruited sour ale it says it's a native Brazilian style of beer. Interesting. Um, but it is it is very fruity. Definitely got mango and um, some of those more vivacious fruits going on uh, in there. Uh, at first, I wasn't quite sure about it. Um, but the more I've gotten into it now, it's actually, it's actually quite enjoyable. So looking forward to just finishing this one off. Uh, now, as for the bearish thing, I finally remembered what I was bearish on. I'm bearish on The Economist uh magazine or the economist newspaper or whatever you want to call it i'm bearish on the economist um, aren't we all because they're real it's a piece of shit i mean it used to hold like you've only just come to this conclusion no i've been look i've been there for a while look, i'm not gonna lie when i was back when i was an ifa uh i used to read the economist i thought it was actually pretty good i thought the quality of the information was was decent um but over time and and more more recently i've realized that it is just utter nonsense um and no more so has this been reinforced in my view than this week's front page talking about a transformation in global finance because of government backed uh, central bank backed digital currencies which the economist has created a new term for they've said you know what they're not cbdc's they're not central bank backed digital currencies they're Gov coins. And after I'd vomited it into my own mouth, I thought I'd read this article on Gov coins or Fed coin that they refer to it as. And the article was worse than the headline. Um, they are so far behind in, in, in everything around their understanding of the current system, the understanding of cryptocurrencies, their understanding of the market. Uh, they may as well just 
start hiring journalists from the mirror or the sun because the economist frankly is an absolute waste of time so i'm very bearish on their uh entire operation i I doubt they'll even exist in a few years time i would definitely rather read the the mirror or the sun than the economist (laughs) uh, any day of the week um i mean how else are you going to catch up on on what katie price is doing really yeah, or I mean, I you know they got pr- plenty of nice games and puzzles in there, uh, some nice cartoons, uh, and you know they actually do cover some stories that you probably wouldn't find any, uh, which <laughs> you know uh, no doubt the snobs at the Economist would think you know they would never sully their hands with some, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> some reporting on a topic like you know things that are going on in the U.S. in you know the military or whatever, which uh, you know these guys are fine to to find cover and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I must say, Sam, yeah, you know, The Economist has been a piece of shit for a very long time. Uh, so, I mean, I must agree. I must agree. I think one one thing that really irks me with The Economist is their habit of, not a habit, I mean, it's just a, it's genuinely part of their style guide, which is that no one ever signs under their own name, really. It's very rare yeah. for somebody to go through under The Economist and then to actually put their name to some of the shit that they've written. So as a result, everyone can hide uh, and they can they can say whatever they want and it will just say that this is the economist view. So, you know, there are articles in there which say things like, you know, the price of X is booming, but for the wrong reason. So there the should be the right reason and the wrong reason for assets to go up and down in price, in, in, in price like that, which I think is... Uh, yeah, I think it's an extraordinary uh, display of arrogance to be saying what market prices should and shouldn't be. And I think betrays the sort of central planning leaning that many people at The Economist might have. You know, I actually know a fellow who, uh, I think he did, a, was he an intern? Um, I think he interned at The Economist. And one of the things he was told as a writer there, you know, that one of the first things you need to, re- to, to remember if you're writing something is pretend you're God. <laughs> and I think that is very much that level of arrogance is definitely revealed by the economist. And the fact that nobody ever, nobody ever has their name against it, right? They never get held to account. They can, nobody can ever say, actually, what you said was a piece of shit. You were utterly wrong. And anybody that read you was completely deluded about what the future may or may not look like. And it was a future that you told them was a certainty. Like this is, um, you know, I, I utterly despise that, uh, that magazine. You know, what's what's interesting as well, right? So magazines, I mean, we—it's magazines have always sort of, the the circulation of magazines has fallen away in the internet age as well, right? But some, they still exist, right? They still publish physical physical magazines or physical papers. And a lot of them now obviously exist online with digital subscriptions and things like that. I'm I'm still somewhat astonished that, that some of them have continued to even exist online. Um, it, it feels like, look, in in what's happened in the probably the last decade with online news and fake news and Facebook news and people believing that a, a post on Facebook written in caps locks is news, um, that Twitter t- posts can be news, especially if they're in caps lock, Um this 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 weird trend of what is or isn't real, what is in fact, with the difference between opinion and fact. I actually think there's a position out there for an for a physical uh, news delivery publication to actually exist and thrive. I think we we could almost come full circle into the digital age and then go back to the printed physical magazine and see something with great success, but it all comes down to being able to verify the truth. And I think having people, you know, put names to, to publications, I think it's weird. Everyone's like broadsheets are dead and they're going to die and they won't exist anymore. They're still there. They've obviously been hit significantly in the last, you know, two decades, but uh, I feel like there's, there's an opportunity for resurgence in there in that somewhat as well. Well, The Economist has certainly been there trying to keep that alive, Sam. I remember you, know, you do get a lot of those guys at train stations and whatnot trying to, uh, trying to sell the subscriptions and everything. Um, I, you know, I think there's definitely something there. I think it, it just depends on niches rather than yeah. mainstream. Uh, so, 
you know, Monocle magazine is probably the closest uh, in terms of you know, my own uh, things that I like to, to read. Monocle is probably the closest that comes to closest to the Economist that I would read. Right. I mean, it's very. I've never, read, I've never read Monocle. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, yeah, it's a very bulky, uh, you know, big thick issues, and comes on very very nicely printed paper. I think Ooh. that when you're when you're going for a, you, when you're buying a printed thing uh, and everyone's all digital, having something that's on really nice paper, you know, these small things sort of add to it, right? Uh, but you know, Monocle is itself very. Uh, it's effectively global the, the globalized liberal elite magazine. But which you know the the political views of the magazine don't really reflect reflect much of uh, my own values and things like that. But it's still very interesting, and they'll show you stuff from all over the world. And half the reasons why you read it is kind of is kind of for the ads. I actually really enjoy get, reading ads that are tailored for people who are completely different from me. Uh, that, that's kind of a, that's kind of a separate thing. But Monocle magazine, like it is a magazine that I enjoy reading, um, and it, because it's you know still it's still got that paper format. Uh, and you still find interesting stuff and it's still, still very niche. And the kind of content that they release, you, I wouldn't, I, if it was on the internet, and I'm sure it is on the internet, but I wouldn't actually want to read it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be interested in it. Um, further to what you, with your bullish bearish uh, segment, right? Uh, and to be honest, I'm not really sure. <sighs> when, when it comes to the bullish bearish bit, there was this one one thing I saw today. I think it was, it was from yesterday that Bitfinex did it. On bullish bearish, and you had that bit about gov coins in the Economist, uh, and you know, <laughs> uh, can you imagine reading the Economist and being ahead of the curve on anything? Because I can. <laughs> like, is there is there anything that the Economist has been ahead of the curve of on? I, I, I mean, I don't read a lot, so maybe maybe there's stuff in there, but anyway. But I saw that Bitfinex has mm. launched a trading pair, which is mm. USD. USDT. So you can trade with leverage the difference between the dollar, actual dollars, and tethers. Uh, so that that difference, that spread that arrives between the dollar and tether is, uh, you know, the, it, it, quite often tether will trade at a premium or a discount. And you yep. can now bring that to the table with 10 times leverage, uh, and you can make money off it. So I am bullish on the spread between mm. the dollar and tether. And I'm not going to say which way, because I don't know. But I get the impression that especially with people moving into the space with leverage, that you're going to see tether pre-trade at a, pre at a massive premium or a massive discount. And you know there are other people who say tether is a massive fraud. It's all going to go down, man. You know <laughs> This is the big short. Uh, you need to short tether, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, they can now express that view with 10 times leverage, right? Bitfinex mm. is giving you that. Of course, Bitfinex are involved in the whole tether thing, so you might not want to take that, take that trade. But I'm bullish on that spread, I think. And yeah, and I'm beginning to think that the longer tether exists, the longer it survives all of the, all the hate, and the more people realize that this, that tether has beaten. The Federal Reserve. It has beaten the the folks at the Economist. It has beaten all of these central planners into creating a digital dollar. They've gone ahead of everyone else. The digital dollar is already here. It's called Tether. Yeah. I I get the impression that this might actually the Tether might trade start trading at a at a serious premium uh, because the mm -hmm. longer it survives, the longer people are going to really really trust it and. Plenty of people use Tether just to send money around now. Instead of doing a wire transfer, they'll just move Tether, uh, which I think is completely fair enough. And yeah, I, I, I get the impression Tether, maybe Tether, maybe I'm really just bullish on Tether. I, I mean, I'll say for this for this episode, I'm bullish on the spread because at the same time, you know, some somebody may be able to come up with a massive amount of FUD on Tether and they may be able to get that value down. But considering the size of Tether now, we were talking $50 billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, just a market cap for that. And the volumes are insane. Like when you're looking at Doge going crazy, it's all from Tether. I mean, it's not people trading uh, BTC for that. I mean, it's Tether. Um, but I'm bullish on that spread. I think that's what I would, uh, that's what I would go for. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's interesting that I, like I, you think about how can Tether trade at a premium? 
I mean, if they are, if they're if they're one for one backed, right? Uh-huh. Let, let's theoretically say they're they're one for one backed. That for every tether that's in circulation, there is a physical US dollar stored on a digital, uh, you know, bank account somewhere. Or you know, it's we know it's not f- physical cash because there's not enough physical cash in the world. Uh, that's how fractional banking system works. But if 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 Tether all of a sudden starts trading at a premium, uh, two. So this is only in the instance that it trades at a premium. But if it trades at a premium to its actual physical reserves, then aren't we theoretically just talking about a fractional banking system? I I wouldn't say necessarily. Um... Because it's not necessarily frac because that's the the that would be the opposite of fractional because the is trading at a premium there are there isn't a greater volume of tethers out there they are simply being more highly valued so it'd be it'd be roughly the same as a dollar ETF trading at a premium over its net asset value yeah right. the one thing I I find interesting with tether is when you saw so after the New York Attorney General. Did their thing where they effectively yeah. let let Tether off the hook. Yeah. Tether went to a, it went to a massive premium, right? It was like one, it was maybe even above one dollar seven cents uh, for for one Tether, right? Yeah. And you know, if that is the case, if you were the Tether Foundation, would you not want to step into the breach and just print a load of Tether to get that that peg back down to one dollar? Because the the market's giving you that money. Why, why wouldn't you want to just print a load of Tether and then pocket the difference? And mm. I guess the, the reason against that would be because everybody, if you publish the information, everybody would still see that there were more Tethers that you had printed than the total amount. Uh, and I wonder how the market would take it if you said, actually, Tether is just... We, it, the whole point of this is that Tether is going to be pegged one-to-one with the dollar. And the market has pushed so much buying pressure on this that in order to maintain this peg, we have had to enter the market and perform a currency devaluation because the market's overvaluing our currency. It's like the Swiss franc, right? The, the central bank can walk in there, walk into the breach, print all of the Swiss francs to try and devalue it to get it back to market price. I wonder what would happen if the, and maybe maybe this is, this, this is a prediction. I mean, I can imagine it happening where, Tether becomes so highly valued because it's so much easier to use on the internet than the actual dollar Mm. that Tether ends up running like a currency board or like a central bank where they're actually printing dollars just to decrease the value of the Tethers that they've created already. I wonder, I wonder if that, but at the same time that would, you would be violating your original mandate of of holding everything one-to-one. Yeah, uh, but of course, many central banks and well, many uh, treasuries who run foreign exchange reserves have changed their mandate over time as to what it is that they're trying to do with their currency. So maybe the tether mandate will change, where it's everyone knows that everyone knows that a tether is worth a dollar, and they're going to maintain that value with their reserves. Maybe they will, you know, maybe they'll print money to buy some of those reserves, or maybe, uh, or maybe not, because of course. You know, if they're printing money, if they're pr- they start printing uh, tethers in order to get the uh, the value of a tether down. Would they be printing tethers to buy dollars, or would they be printing tethers to buy Bitcoin, or another, mm. or something else? See, imagine, imagine, imagine if they started trying to do their own monetary policy. And they started printing U.S. dollar tethers to buy euro or to buy pounds. Well, now, that exactly. would be. Hmm. What if what if they do? Well, I mean, that, that's the thing, right? So this is why I'd, I've never really liked stable coins at all, is because they are inherently tied to the traditional financial system. They are pegged to fiat currency that, as we know, with central bank manipulation, constantly is devalued um, through through the you know all central banks mandating that they try and achieve a certain level of inflation, uh, thereby devaluing cash. Um, and so by pegging yourself to that, you are, you, you're just, you, you're just towing the line. Whereas well, or worse, sudden, I mean, you're, you're bringing this into the digital realm. You're, bre- you're right. bringing this virus into cyberspace. Yeah, that you're bastardizing the very core ethos of, of what cryptocurrencies are about, which is, you know, very anti-traditional financial system and, and, 
you know, anarchist in that that sense. So I, ha- I, I personally, I still fucking hate stable coins. I think they're a, a virus. And I, <laughs> I genuinely believe that. But they are this bridge at the moment between the traditional system and cryptocurrency. Um, so they're almost a necessary. Well, maybe they're not a necessary evil. Uh, if they didn't exist, it'd be interesting to see what the crypto space was like today. Maybe yeah. it just all takes longer to evolve and to grow than it, than it has. Uh, nonetheless, I think you're right. If all of a sudden Tether decide to change their own monetary policy, yeah, they're on um, Monday, yeah, and and become more of a global backed. Uh, stable coin so they start adding things outside of the us dollar yeah, to the basket so they create a basket they effectively create what the imf has been trying to do um or what libra was meant to be or what libra was meant to be yeah i mean then all of a sudden then there's there, there may be something interesting in that and then i can absolutely see there being a, a massive premium on on what the tether is but it would intrinsically have to change uh, it's very core nature, which is being USD backed to just becoming a global basket currency. Um, so maybe you know there's there is a there is a chance that our global uh, our global reserve currency doesn't isn't Bitcoin, but it becomes something that's maybe more like USDT, but backed by a number of assets. So that maybe. that's a, that's an interesting roadmap that could be that we could see evolve i think as well tether is certainly the closest the internet has to a central bank and it is Mm. enormous just in terms of the volumes that tether gets traded it is absolutely wild i mean they already do offer tether euro uh, but you know obviously it doesn't have as much demand um but i just i for me just imagine if they they move beyond their mandate of where this is going to be where it's no longer one-to-one pegged with the dollar because there's so much demand for this for this token, we are simply trying to keep the value at one dollar, whatever it takes, and we'll print extra tether in order to do that. I mean, then well, it so would that, really that's be... that's a, that's that's a rebase. That's a called that's a rebasing currency. So we've got there are rebasing currencies out there that that don't actually end up being backed by anything. But that they like adjust. Die? Yeah, they they adjust or, or ample force, right? They adjust the. Uh, circulating um, and, and number of tokens to to peg the, the you know the value to whatever it is they're trying to peg. So um, you know there's a couple of out there. There's there's one from from BadgerDAO that are pegging to pegging their DIG token to Bitcoin's price, and so the number of DIG in circulation will rise and fall in order to adjust the demand and supply in order to maintain a, you know, within a 5% variance of Bitcoin's price. And we see that with Ampleforth, with the dollar. Uh, and maybe that become, you know, maybe these become the currencies. Maybe we don't need to have printing, money printing. We just need to have a rebasing token that can represent what is effectively a, a, a unit of exchange, whatever that may be. So that, that's what fascinates me about what's happening in this, <coughs> in this space. Is you get these kinds of crazy new developments like a rebasing token to, to maintain a peg to a to a value of something is is quite cool really um which but it, it is kind of complex and very confusing at the same time as well yeah quite these are uh you know they're definitely not not the easiest things to get yourself acquainted to especially if you're you're not familiar with the space as it was and uh, sam we are getting on for time do you have any closing remarks that you'd like to uh, finish up with hey uh Tune in Saturday night if you can find the stream or if you can get the episode on one of the comedy channel station things or whatever. Uh, check out Saturday Night Live. I'm going to be watching because I can't wait to see what happens. I think it's going to be a fucking car crash. <laughs> oh, you know and I... my, my sour beer or sour beer. I need to rate that as well. Uh, I should add that it was quite nice. Um, uh, fruity, very fruity sour. Um, quite easy to drink. Reasonably low in terms of ABB. I'll give it an A plus for the for the sour or sour, uh, fruited sour ale from Gypsy Hill. You know, uh, just to finish us off, I uh, was looking at this old quote from King Ferdinand II of Spain. He's the guy who really set off the Spanish Empire back in the 16th century, and uh, his famous quote is to his to the conquistadors, to the to his explorers was, "Get gold." Uh, humanely if possible but by all hazards get gold and i just wonder if somebody is going to come out there these days and say get doge 
humanely <laughs> possible, but by all by all hazards, get Doge. But uh, to all people listening, I do hope you have a very good weekend. That has been episode 44 of the Booze, Booms and Bust podcast. We shall be back with episode 45 next week. Uh, but until then, I hope you have a good one.